to be in the house of the Lord one more time. We come with no other purpose in mind than to lift the name of Jesus. You going to help us? Wait a minute. Will you help us? It didn't sound like you heard. Are you going to help us? All right. All right. I feel better. I feel better. We want you to enjoy this experience. We're praying for our preachers. And when there's praying in the pew, there will be preaching in the pulpit. So we're asking that you pray for our preachers tonight. Would you stand and join in the singing of Jesus, keep me near the cross?
tortured soul shall find there in rest beyond the reef. Come on, let's say it one more time. Oh, in the scripture reading for tonight comes from Paul's second letter to Timothy. In its fourth chapter, we read verse 1 and 2. And we're reading from the Message Bible. I can't impress this on you too strongly. God is looking over your shoulder. Christ himself is the judge with the final say on everyone, living and dead. He is about to break into the open with his own rule. So proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch. Challenge, warn, and urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. Eternal God, our Father, oh, how we love you. We love you first because of who you are. You God who made us in your own image, in your own likeness. You God who visited with us. You God who take care of us. You God who look beyond our faults and you supply every one of our needs. Now, Father, you know why we are gathered here tonight. We pray your richest blessings upon all that is said and done. We pray that you would come in and take control of all that is said and done. We pray for these two preachers who will come and preach a prophetic word. God, have mercy. Allow them to go down in the deep mysteries of your treasures. 
and give us a word tonight that would help us to be a better people. And then, Lord, we ask a special blessing upon our leader, upon Fred Jeff Smith. God, you know where he is, and you know what he stands in need of right now. We pray, oh God, that you would strengthen him where he's weak. Build him where he's torn down. Continue to work in him the work that you have called him to do. Now, Lord, we pray that you would just bless what is done here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good evening. It is truly good to see you all on this evening as we prepare ourselves for fresh fire. Prophetic preaching for perilous times. We would ask that you would continue to lift Pastor Fred Jeff up in your prayers. He wasn't feeling well this morning during the noonday service, and we ended up at the emergency room where he's having some issues uh, with a, another bowel obstruction, but he is fine. Uh, they're admitting him, and we're just going to watch over the night to see what's going on. And he's playing video games as he was waiting to get into uh, his room on his phone. So he's fine. He's fine. But just continue to lift him up in prayer. Over the last year, the Shiloh Associate Ministers have been engaged in sustained study and conversation about what it means to be a prophetic preacher. Biblical prophets were those men and women who spoke the word of the Lord regardless of the audience and without concern for the political or social cost. They were courageous, audacious, and resolute in their goal of stirring the hearts and minds of the people, and that included the religious and political leadership towards God's concern for justice. So grounding our study all last year and even into this year, in the work of Reverend Dr. Marvin McNichols' book, Where Have All the Prophets Gone? Reclaiming Prophetic Preaching in America, we have collectively explored how prophetic preaching has all but disappeared from American pulpits in many churches. Instead of preaching what thus saith the Lord like the biblical prophets, many pastors and preachers have instead been co-opted by contemporary false doctrines such as health and wellness, prosperity, name it and claim it theology, and hyper-patriotism that privileges political party over the love ethic of Jesus Christ. So as Dr. McMichael asserts, it's time again for preachers to embrace preaching out of a prophetic consciousness, and that is a consciousness that speaks truth to power and it addresses issues of injustice within the church and the wider community. Prophetic preaching asks the question, what is the role or appropriate response of our churches, of our associations, of our denominations to the events that are occurring within our society and throughout the world? Prophetic preaching, hear me church, points out the false gods of comfort and a lack of concern even acquiescence in the face of evil that can so easily replace the true God of Scripture who calls believers to the active pursuit of righteousness 
and justice for every member of the society. Prophetic preaching also never allows God's people, the community of faith, to believe that participation in the rituals of the church will ever be an adequate substitute for doing the work of the church. And that is being concerned with the least, the lowly, and the left out in our world. So on this evening and every Wednesday this month, the Shiloh Associate Ministers will preach out of a prophetic consciousness speaking to the issues and concerns that face our community. And understand, this is not a preaching contest. No, this is an opportunity as a body of Christ to partake in all the different gifts that God has placed Shiloh with in the many associate ministers that we have. Tonight and every Wednesday night this month, in their own way and in their own individual authentic voices, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, these preachers will bring fresh fire, preaching prophetic sermons for our current perilous times. Pray with them and pray for them as they share, like the biblical prophets of old, what thus saith the Lord. And at this point, if Pastor was here, y'all know that the hymn of preparatory uh, uh, preparation would be Father I Stretch. So let's stand together. And we will sing that uh, if, if we had the opportunity and we're live streaming. He'd probably be waiting for that song right now. So let's just sing a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. Father, I stretch my To the pastor, who in this absence is not here, to his lovely wife, Reverend Demetria, and to all my fellow associate ministers, to my mother and my dearly departed father, to my family and friends, brothers and sisters, good evening. It is good to be here for another year, for today is my birthday. So instead of it being a dirty 30 birthday, I guess you can call it a holy 30 birthday. 
Amen. I'm not going to keep you long tonight. And with that, um, turning your, your Bibles with me, if you will, to Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And the verse that we'll be focusing on is verse 18. Again, that's Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And it states, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Tonight, I want to come from the subject, standing the test of faith. Standing the test of faith. Pray with me. Most gracious and all wise Heavenly Father, I am here. Use me as your vessel to speak to these your people. Lord, have your way is my prayer this night. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, these are perilous times that we are currently living in. Times are perilous for this country, times are perilous for this state, and times are perilous for our community, times are even perilous for the church, and times are even perilous for us as individuals. It seems like every time you turn on the news or, or read your local newspaper, there's never any good news to hear. But is this really anything new? Black-on-black -black crime is, is statistically growing. Due to our media devices, we are able to see pl police brutality like we've never seen before. All over, African Americans are racially oppressed as we are treated as second-class citizens, which means we get the full penalty of the law and limited access to our rights. And if things weren't already bad enough, we as a people have the audacity to oppress ourselves with envy and jealousy. Just take a look at the recent events that just occurred. 75-year-old Sadie Roberts-Joseph, founder of a black, of a Baton Rouge African-American history museum, was found dead in her trunk. She was a prominent black activist in the community, murdered by her former tenant. Should I bring up Blaine Salamone? All this time, our community has been waiting for justice after witnessing the horrific murder of Alton Sterling three years ago. After all that waiting, we watched the injustice of a racially oppressed system do what it does best, fail us. 
Salamone, a man whose record shows a well-documented pattern of unprofessional behavior, police violence, marginalization, polarization, and implicit bias. Salamone, a man that should never have been hired because he did not disclose in his application a prior arrest in a domestic abuse incident before. However, because of the leverage he had with his parents, who are also high-ranking law officials, it was overlooked. Salamone, who if the board had heard his appeal, it could have overturned his discipline, giving him his job back. Needless to say, but let us not, uh, let us not forget our leadership of this country, Trump, a man who would tell African women of the Senate Congress to go back to where you come from. I said to myself, the audacity for it has been African blood, sweat, and tears that has built this very foundation of this country. I don't know about you, and, and maybe it's just me, but it makes me cry out, why, God? Which leads me to my first point. Standing the test of faith will cause you to question God. In Habakkuk chapter 3, the entirety of the chapter, Habakkuk is in a, a state of prayer. But when we go back to Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Habakkuk openly questions the wisdom of God. The prophet sees the injustice among his people and asks God, why does he not take action? He states, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make, it, do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoings? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Injustice never prevails. The wicked hymns in the righteous so that justice is perverted. As we investigate a little bit further in the text, we see that Judah ha has gone too far and God has allowed it to go on and on and on and on. God has finally gotten to the point where he had enough of his own chosen people. Now, we see in chapter 1, verse 5 through 6, God answers Habakkuk. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians, those ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that, not, that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and they, and they promote their own honor. Judah has been complacent in their actions and developed an arrogance that God will always be on their side no matter what they do. After all, they were his chosen people. Too often do we enjoy and love the blessings, but we forget all about the one who blesses. We get caught up in all of life's many distractions in the societal right rat race. But as soon as all those blessings stop and trouble, trouble comes our way, we are quick to say, Lord, have mercy. Oh, we recollect our memory really fast at that point. And I'm sure God is saying to, to us, do I have your attention now? So now Habakkuk is coming to God for a second time, but this time God has gone completely silent. Which leads me to my second point. God can be silent while you are standing the test of faith. Habakkuk states in chapter 1, verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. 
then why do you tolerate this treacherousness? Why are you, you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You ever feel like you're playing a, a game of hide and seek with God? God, where are you? I often think about Job and how he suffered through constant affliction that God allowed to transpire in his life. And, and, you, and you say to yourself, if I, could, if I could just get to God and just make my case, but no worries. God is going to get to you in his own timing. You see, in chapter 2, God gets back to Habakkuk in his own timing, but don't we always panic when we feel like God is not around or he's not listening to us? Let me tell you something. God ain't never left. He is always still listening, and he is still in control. But God comes back to Habakkuk with the answer to the prophet questions, but however, it was not the answer that was expected, which leads me to my next point. Don't expect to get the answer you wanted to hear when standing the test of faith. God answers the prophet in chapter 2, verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. You see, I like the King James version of this scripture better. It says, it states, the, the just shall live by faith. Now, this is not in the text, but I'm sure when Habakkuk relayed this, this message to Judah, they had a human response that sort of went, went like this. God, what? What do you mean? That's not the answer we were expecting to hear. We got these, these Babylonians here, and they're giving us all sorts of hell. We need you to take care of this situation right now. But, but what is God saying to us here? He is saying, through your faith, you will build back your trust in God. Your trust in God will make you seek God. In seeking God, you will remember who God is. And when you remember who God is, it makes standing your test of faith in perilous time a bit more easier. Because the test is going to come regardless if you want it to or not. Lastly, standing your test of faith will cause you to pray and praise your way out of perilous times. In chapter 3, Habakkuk goes to a mindset that it is time to pray. Oh, church, when we get back to being in the mindset of being on one accord and praying, Habakkuk knew that this was going to be some perilous times for Judah. However, he allowed his, his response of his, his response to shift from concern and worry to being on bending knee. Habakkuk allowed himself to grow from a faith of the perplexity and doubt to a height of absolute trust in God. He allowed God to shape his response. Habakkuk expresses ultimate faith in God, even though he doesn't fully understand what God is up to. But regardless, he knew that God was in control. With that, Habakkuk gets his praise on. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food, there, there are no sheep in the pen and the cattle, there's no cattle in the stalls yet. 
will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Yet, you see, you got to understand something, church. Your praise will confuse your enemy. You see, the devil can get you all wrapped up and tangled up in your mind and your body. But when you start praising, he starts loosening up off you. Shiloh, it is time for us to come together on one accord and pray without ceasing. It's time to confuse our enemies with our praise. And I'm going to make this a little bit more personal. I've been dealing with issues regarding my own health ever since April of this year. And over the summer, it got even worse. And what's crazy, when my father passed away, I've been extra mindful of taking care of my own health. I went vegetarian. I know all about holistic medicines, and nothing was really working. I got tested for almost everything, STDs, TB, MS, lupus, but everything came back negative and normal. The only thing that they could diagnose me with was allergic rhinitis. And I screamed out, I said, why, God? Fell into a deep depression. Couldn't understand anything. God, who did I not forgive? God, who did I not say sorry to? God, what is going on? It brought me back to a point where I was on bending knee. I found myself fasting for over three days, drinking nothing but water. I got off of all of my distractions, and then I, I started remembering who God is. And although I am not 100% just yet, but I'm still alive from my pastor. My God is able. Able. You see, I understand now why that gets good to pastor when he says God is able. You see, when, when God is coming in your life, that means he can do it for you. Because it is by God's grace and mercy that I'm standing right here, right now, praising my way through my circumstance. You got to have yourself a yet praise. Yet will you praise him because God is still good. And even like Paul said, he had a thorn in his side. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Shiloh, I don't know about you, but I'm standing my test of faith. Do you know him? He's able. He's able. Hmm. He's been good to me. He picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground. He's able. Able. Come on, let's just do a line of praise him, praise him. 
to God. Glory to God. To my pastor in his absence. To my daughter, my sister, my best friend, Reverend Demetria. Thank you for this time. To my Shiloh family, I thank all of you for coming out to just hear a word from God. You could have been so many other places. But I see more of you here tonight than I've seen on some Wednesday nights. Amen. Lord, as I stand yielded to you, help me to teach a truth I'm living or at least seeking to live. In Jesus' name, now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Throughout history, the men and women that God has used mightily have been those who knew how to pray and for whom prayer was both a necessity and a priority. Most of us can remember our mothers and grandmothers on their knees calling on God and calling out our names at all hours praying for our safety and protection. People of God, I want you to know that the devil is not afraid of a Christian on his feet. His greatest fear is a believer on his knees. When you study the Gospels and the training of the disciples by the Lord Jesus, we find that prayer is to be a vital part of a disciple's life. Along with when you fast and when you give is when you pray. Not if, but when. As you look at today's world, there is definitely a need for prayer. The language of our own president is bigoted, selfish, and some other adjectives I can't say. His words feed the violence and hatred of white nationalists, while leaders of his party agreeing with his hateful rhetoric are selling their very souls for a few pieces of silver. And some don't care about the silver because their hearts are so hardened that they hate anything and anyone that doesn't agree with them or look like them. There are those that think that they can suppress our vote by suppressing our voice, 
and the news is filled with the acts of egregious killings, mass murders, and hate crimes. In our own city, we not only witness, but are the objects of racial injustices. And because the tone is set from the top, it's okay to settle differences with violence instead of civility in our dealings. We need to pray because what affects one of our brothers and sisters affects all of us, whether we believe it or not. We struggle in our emotions because the very people that our taxes pay to protect us are the ones we need protection from. White people are innocent until proven guilty, while people of color are guilty until proven guilty. People that don't have a clue want you to believe that the church is not doing enough. I'm here to let you know this evening, Shiloh, that as a collective body, we are responsibly doing our part, but we can do more as we stand up to our foes. We need to learn how to pray and then pray without ceasing. In other words, prayer should be a lifestyle. If God's people who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray. Most Bible-believing Christians recognize and accept that there is a need for prayer. It's important. We talk about it. We sing about it. We get up at 6 a.m. to get on the prayer line. Yet the church today is anything but a praying church. Why is that? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there are no prayer warriors here at Shiloh. I know that there are. But the vision and the discipline of biblical prayer as committed disciples of the Lord Jesus has somehow escaped the body of Christ. We talk of its necessity, we know we need it, but too often we fail to experience its reality. I read in my Bible that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Where is the evidence that our prayers are being affected? When we call on God, he says he will answer. He says, call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. The disciples' experiences were no different than ours. Like us, they fell short in their prayer life. But unlike us, they had seen the master of prayer in action. They saw Jesus as he prayed while teaching, preaching, and healing. They saw him go off by himself and spend hours talking to his father. They saw the power in his prayers. They witnessed Jesus praying and then calling Lazarus from the grave. Jesus prayed knowing he was going to be betrayed. And when he hung on the cross, he prayed. Now, as I prepared this teaching, I wondered to myself, if you have been praying, why would anyone have to teach you to pray? What was it that made the disciples feel their own prayers were inadequate? Like us, had they forgotten that prayer is a two-way conversation? How often had they prayed and then listened to hear God's response? Let's look at the text, and we're going to read Luke 11 chapter verses 1 through 4 from the message. One day he was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So he said, when you pray, say, 
Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Now this prayer is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's divided into two sections. The first is the Father's purpose. The second is our needs for provision to fulfill that purpose. I like to refer to it as the disciples' prayer. After all, the prayer life of Jesus was already established. The disciples felt they needed to be taught to pray. Basis for the request, teach us to pray. For my allowed time, let us drop anchor at verse 2. So he said, when you pray, say, Father, reveal who you are, set the world right. And I want to use as a thought, teach us to pray. Now, reading the Gospels, beginning with Matthew and reading through John, I wasn't able to find where the disciples asked, Master, teach us to witness or teach us to perform miracles our teachers to teach. But in Luke 11, one of the disciples says, Master, teach us to pray. By Jesus' example, the disciples understood that praying was a priority. They wanted to see that priority thriving in their own lives. One of the reasons why I refer to it as the disciples' prayer. In asking to be taught to pray, had they all of a sudden realized that prayer was less, Master, what can you give me? And more of, Master, what can I offer you? Their request is not just about how to pray, but they say, teach us to pray. Their request kind of struck me because we really need to learn to pray, not just when we're in trouble, the prayers we pray should produce indisputable change in the situation for which we are praying. And in order to experience the expectation of our prayers, you have to actually pray. These were not words given just to be recited as a ritual. Notice how Jesus answered the disciples' request. He said, when you pray, say. I believe Jesus' instructions were given to show the disciples how they should go about praying, not just the words they should use. As powerful as that disciples' prayer is, it is of no value if we neither understand the purpose or how to apply it to our own lives. Let me just for a moment share with you why learning this prayer has done to transform my prayer lives. To do this, you just have to ascertain that Jesus' answer to the disciples was more than just an answer. He was teaching an application for life. Jesus was teaching, first of all, intimate relationship with God. He begins by telling them, say, Father. You can't talk to everybody about everything, but you can talk to your heavenly Father about anything. The word that Jesus used for father was the common Aramaic word with which a child would address his father, the word Abba. 
Jesus transforms our relationship with God from one of a far-off, unsociable deity to that of an intimate relationship of a father. Seven years ago, my middle daughter gave birth to her first child, a little girl, Braylon Michelle. She came into this world weighing two pounds and six ounces. I had prepared for her birth. I was, wasn't ready for it. It was too early. For 52 days, I went to Ochsner Hospital every morning to talk to God about that little tiny body. The fact that my relationship let me talk to my daddy about that situation was reassuring and comforting to me at a time when I didn't know what to do because of relationship, intimate relationship. I was able to go to my father and pour out my spirit. Secondly, Jesus was teaching respect for God because of who he is. He said, reveal who you are. Shiloh, I believe we've gotten too casual in our relationship with God. It troubles me when I hear God referred to as the man upstairs or the man. You have to realize that God is not your partner or your boy. When you pray, reveal who you are. You come to respect the reverence of God for his person, who he is. This revelation touches the very heart of God. You recognize who he is and what he's done for you. Now, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, reveal who you are, he was telling them, make the presence of God alive in our hearts. He was saying, put God on the throne of your heart as he sits upon his throne in heaven. God is a holy God. He's sovereign. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. I accepted Christ and was baptized at eight years old at Nazarene Baptist Church. I did not recognize who God was until I was 32 years old. I knew of God. Don't get it twisted. I knew I was saved. But for a long time, I tried to do things for myself that only a holy God could do. I hid my childhood abuse. My, my, my self-esteem was low. I would be silent at times. I would be angry at times, sometimes at different times, and sometimes all at the same time. But it was prayer that helped me to have a respect for God. And before recognizing and giving him that respect, my life was a mess. I am glad to tell you today that I recognized who God really was. He turned my mess into a message, and I thank him for not giving up on me. And finally, Jesus was teaching the establishment of new priorities, the experience of true submission. He says, set the world right. What we have to understand today, Shiloh, is that the world we live in is turned upside down. Only God can turn it right side up. When we pray set the world right, we are acknowledging God's right to rule our lives. Scripture tells us that the kingdom is in us, so there's no need to pray for this world to be set right unless we honestly desire the ruling authority of Christ as well. When the world is set right, it is no more my way or the highway. You know 
that if God is going to use you greatly, he will crush you mightily. So when you pray, set the world right, change will take place whether you're ready for it or not. Obviously, the more we understand fully God's reign in our lives, the more effectively God will be able to use us in setting the world right. We no longer have a desire to live by our own rules because we understand we've been bought with a price and what it means to trust God in all or not at all. Do I get it right all the time? No, I don't. But I'm quick to repent and to recognize who is in charge and it's not me. My grandmother used to say, when you know better, you do better. A world that has been set right has a different set of rules, a different standard. And as I reflect on this request of the disciple, Master, teach us to pray. I see someone wanting to be better, someone with a desire to submit to God's requirement to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Master, teach us to pray. God bless you. from the Lord tonight. Let the church say amen. amen. Oh, hallelujah. If I had the energy, I'd run all around the building. Yeah, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, y'all reached heaven tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm happy. I don't know about you all. My soul's been fed. I'm full. Whenever there's a word from the Lord, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for somebody in the building tonight who's outside the ark of safety as our deacons come and our preachers are going to come. We, we want to make and give the opportunity. We're not extending church membership. We're inviting you to Christ tonight. You've got to meet him first. That hand is extended to you tonight. If you're in the building and you're outside the ark of safety, there's an opportunity right now for you to come and be a part of God's family. Be in the struggle with us as we can continue in kingdom building work. Tonight I'm inviting you to say yes to God. It's asking you to come by faith. Just step out. Preachers will walk with you and the deacons will meet you. And the church will embrace you. It's that hand that can transform your life. It's that hand that can save you. It's that hand that can keep you. 
sanctify you, set you apart. We're extending that hand to you tonight. One more time. Is there anybody in the building? Time is running out. No man knows the day or the hour when he returns. I want to make sure that you're ready for when he comes back. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging Amen. 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 Let's show these two preachers some love. We have been blessed tonight. The word of God has gone forth. And let me tell you something. I know many of you are surprised, surprised, surprised at what has transpired here tonight. It's been good to be here. It's been good to be here. We see in this, the word of God will continue to go forth. I want to thank Troy Kennedy, did an outstanding job. Sandra Wilcox, she did an outstanding job. And let me tell you something. Next week, it's just going to get a little bit better. Just a little bit better. We're going all four weeks. So we look forward to see. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Bring someone with you next week. Let's stand. we got to get out of here. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, rest, rule, and abide in each of us both now and forever. Amen. Amen.